The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. We're going to dive directly into God's Word this morning, as you already heard Sir Gregory tell us that we uh, are in our Exposed series, and this Exposed series is basically dealing with where we are currently. Uh, and the title of our message this morning is a, It's a Different World, A Different World. Uh, some of you know where that comes from, uh, and some of you don't. It's a TV show that you can watch on Amazon Prime if you want, but we like uh, that because we believe that when we, what we see in the community of the believers in the book of Acts is actually uh, a different world. Uh, it's God's world. It's his, it's his economy. It's his kingdom that is uh, coming and will uh, come in its fullness. And so let's go to God's word in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse starting at 42 uh, to 47. Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 to 47. If you're at home, uh, just to continue to exercise this element of worship, I want you to put down the, the bacon, um, stop cooking, um, don't try to um, fold clothes or work on a task. But, but give your time and your attention um, to this full service and to God's word. So if you have your Bible, if it's an electronic form or you have a physical copy, stand up off your couch, uh, get about your bed um, and stand as we read the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers and the all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord had added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Very words of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us in this time. Uh, help me to speak to your people. Help me to be clear. Help me to be precise and concise. And as I do, Lord Jesus, I pray that I hide beneath your cross. Do not allow me to speak of my words as if they have authority and power. But allow me to recognize that these are your words that have much power and authority and which can transform hearts and lives. I pray that that happens this morning, Lord Jesus, and those that are longing to know you more, I pray that they adhere to your word and find joy and courage in it. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people said together, amen. If you're standing, you can have a seat. Uh, just a little background about our passage, which you want to recognize is, is that essentially our passage is uh, showing the fellowship of the believers in a new community. 
uh, Pentecost just happened. They were all together in Acts, Acts chapter one, chapter two, verse one in one place. And there was a Russian mighty wind. And in that Russian mighty wind, the spirit filled the place and they begin to speak with other tongues, languages to one another. We've talked about this in Bible study to where we oftentimes think of Jewishness as a monolith. But we can see the diversity in this expression in the first first couple verses of chapter two. Peter then steps up before everyone and preaches a solid message, a biblical biblical message about the gospel from all the way starting um, with the Abrahamic covenant covenant all the way up into this point. And as he does, he said you can look right there in verse uh, 40, starting in chapter two, where he says this and men and with many words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I think that this is appropriate because when you believe when you read the preceding verses, you see that people begin to see signs and wonders. They adhere to teachings. They adhere to fellowship. They adhere to the breaking of the bread and prayers because God was saving them from a different from a world that was different from where he was bringing them. Remember, the Bible says that we are of we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Why is that important? Beloved, that is important because the community that we express, the community that we have, I believe Diedrich Bonhoeffer says it best here in this quote, that the physical presence of other Christians is the source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I'm going to read that again. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believers. That's a different world. Because many of us, uh, in our society are in competition with one another. Many of us are taught the survival of the fittest mentality that in our society that you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and begin to make things work for yourself. But I don't think that that is the way that the Bible teaches us how to live. And although when we look at the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we can say to ourselves many times that we would agree generally. But oftentimes it is painful and daunting to do community with other people. And it is daunting because we do not want to be uh, interdependent. We want to be ind individuals. Individualism is actually not a negative thing because we are members of a body that come to that collectively come together. But it is as if we would be individuals members of the body and only rely on the arm or the hand or the fingers or the foot and not rely on the entire body be interdependent in order for us to function that is the body that Paul talks about when we're looking at the Corinthian church and that is the body that Jesus died for and he is the head of however difficult it is for us to understand this interdependentness we also will then struggle not only with the interdependentness upon one another but with the interdependence with the dependence that we need to have upon Christ. Our community, our interdependence actually glorifies God. More and more, the more that we rely on each other, the more that we share in our vulnerabilities, the more that we share in our sufferings, the more that we share in our joy, the more that we share in our gladness, we are preventing a superior, inferior relationship and we are asking for equitable relationships among all people, among all God's people. And it is interesting because for many of us, for many of us, we have a them versus us mentality. 
for many of us, we have a them versus us mentality. It was the uh, sociologist Christina Cleveland in her book, Disunity in Christ, who says this, that the, uh, the, in her research, she deals with this notion um, that the common identity is to develop a collective we as opposed to the us versus them. The collective we is an expression of the interdependence that we need to have one another because oftentimes when you're talking about what they are doing or what those folks are doing, you're actually detaching yourself from those individuals and they are no longer, you are no longer interdependent upon them no matter how much money they have, no matter their color, their creed or tongue. But what you have then done has made yourself and not, not, and not an enemy, an enemy, but you have made yourself an individual that is apart from the body. The collective we allows us not to be blind to the distinctions of the individuals, but the collective we helps us to appreciate the mosaic and the beauty of the individuals that are around us. Why is that so hard for us? I think it's hard for us because of our achiever mentality. I think it exposes us that here's the deal. When we are so focused on this, so focused on so much of the effort being getting Christian community right, we never give ourselves grace or accept the grace of God of getting Christian community wrong. If you've ever been in a relationship romantically, if you've ever been in a friendship, if, you've, if, you, if you are married, you know that you cannot get relationship right all the time. And you have to extend grace to one another in order for relationships to go wrong and it be okay. And it know that when you forgive, when you love, when you care, when you're generous. Those are the things that begin to change the way and the meaning of the relationship. And here's the thing. I believe that people, all of us want to get Christian community right because we have our own ideology of what Christian community should be. And that is apart from following Jesus. Getting it wrong means that we are trusting and walking by faith because Jesus will help us to get it right. Can we be a body? Can we be a, a, a can we be the beloved community? Can we be individuals that will not be afraid of stifling our community and stunting our growth by taking radical risks to be the new community that God calls us to? It is this whole it is this move of the spirit that does this for us. And it is actually in our vision that downtown church exists. To form a new community that radically, that's the modified, radically loves Christ and neighbor. And that's my big idea this morning. That's what I want us to hang our hat on. That it is God's establishment. He establishes a new community to be a witness of God's love to one another and to our neighbors. To one another, us, and then our neighbors, our community. I don't want this to be a generic big idea a generic thought process, a generic saying, but I want this to be a call to action. And here it is in three ways. We're witnesses together. We're witnesses when we're committed together and evangelizing. We're witnesses when we're committed together and evangelizing. Now, 
we're witnesses of this new community because when we look at verse 20, when we look at verse 42, here's what we see. A devoted people, a committed people, people who actually are making themselves busy with God's work. Literally, the word for devoted is to busy oneself. Or one can actually see and translate that that phrase with it saying when you see it in the NASB, it is they were continually devoting themselves. It is so hard as Christians to make sure that we're continually, continuously devoting ourselves to the work of God. And the reason being is because there are so many different other things that fight for our attention and so many different other things that we naturally devote ourselves to. And I want you to write those things down. What is it that you have naturally devoted yourself to? Because what it is saying is you ought to naturally devote yourself, not naturally because we're sinners, but we ought to begin to devote ourselves like these new believers to the teaching of God's word. So they were the teaching of the apostles to the fellowship, devoting ourselves to the breaking of the bread and devoting ourselves to prayer. Now, we're going to break those four elements down. First of all, when he talks about teaching, when Luke brings up the fact that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, he reinforces Matthew 28 and 20, where Jesus had told the disciples and remember that the people, the disciples that were in one place, Acts 2 and 1, it was like 120 disciples. So all already it was multiplying amongst individuals of what the work that Jesus had did on the cross. And when he what he told them is when he had all power and authority in his hands, he says, teach them to all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. What is it that he was teaching, what they were supposed to teach them? The things that he commanded them. Here it is. They also, in their teaching, there were expressions in verse 43 of signs and wonder. Expressions of signs and wonder or demonstrations of signs and wonders. What are those signs and wonders that they seen? It came out of the fact that not only did Jesus do them, but God, Jesus empowered the apostles to do them. And the disciples, as they embodied that, you have to understand that what they were trying to do was actually show and demonstrate the work that was happening in their heart and in their teaching. They begin to replicate that themselves. Why are we supposed to be devoted to God's word? This is not a quiet time or a scripture memorization teaching aspect. That's not the only form of, of, of knowledge transformation. There has to be a heart transformation. That is what the word of God does. So no matter where you are in life, I'm telling you, God's word deals with the ethical. He deals with the practical. It helps us live out. But most of all, God's word, the power of his word is able to free you from your sins. Now, this sounds like, oh, it's only a salvific work. But God's word is also able to bring people together and make sure that they have a commonality within faith, making us interdependent upon one another because the word of God draws us, brings us, encourages us, and uses its own words to build a community. 
Our community should be built on the word of God. Also, secondly, they are devoted to the fellowship. And more accurately, if you were to translate that, they were devoted to sharing the things that they had in common, sharing in common. This fellowship was required with a deep and intense intimacy that allowed one another their relationship to develop over time. And this was, again, I want to emphasize, not just Jew to Jew, but this was a diverse expression of Jews. And it was a major victory because oftentimes we only talk about a Jew in a Gentile uh, relationship but I want you to understand that through the diaspora, that through the church that there was various expressions of individuals walking from cultural backgrounds and we'll get to that. Actually we go to our third part of that fellowship which he is saying they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. When you think about the breaking of the bread immediately we think about the sacraments but culturally in the Greco-Roman time you actually have to think about the fact that they had banquets, special family occasions, so family reunions all the time. They had they actually had uh, private banquets. They had feasts and religious, um, religious banquet, uh, religious feasts, etc. All surrounded around meals, food, a table that brought people together. So that is why when we take communion this morning, we have a table that actually brings a level of equity so that we can all sit amongst God's table. He being the king, him being supreme, and we're, uh, we are taking from his body. Now, when we think about that, this expression of what it means to break the bread, when you have Greeks and Romans and Jews, all of them shared... Because, begin to share customary practices over time of breaking the bread, but they also had different cultural practices of what it meant to break the bread. When we refer to Jesus reclining at the table, that level of reclining meant a level of of relaxation uh, um, uh, because you felt comfortable being in someone else's space. But also, we don't think about a lazy boy recliner. They sat at a table that was all the way low, that was low to the ground and that they laid on the left side of their arms in order to eat with their right hands. So there was a cult, there were customary and cultural practices that many different Jews, many different Greeks, many, many different Christians had at that time. And why is that important? Because ethnic groups brought all of their own unique expressions to the table. I always use this analogy when I'm talking about people coming from different backgrounds that when I come to the table, I knew nothing about pumpkin pie until I went and met some of my white brothers and sisters in, in, in college. I really didn't. I did not eat pumpkin pie. I ate sweet potato pie. I knew everything about sweet potato pie. My, my aunt, my great aunt, she would, she would, I asked her to teach me how to make a sweet potato pie because I knew that that was the very thing that was going to be in heaven. And so I knew that if I was able to make that sweet potato pie, I can bring all the ingredients and everything that I know that, that went into that pie. But if one of my brothers and sisters shared that same table and they brought their sweet their, their pumpkin pie, I knew that I didn't want to smash those pumpkin pies together. I want to appreciate whatever you bring to the table and savor the ingredients and savor the, and the appreciation and the hard work that you put into your pie. Adopting your cultural and ethnic customs uh, 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 um, customs to my own way of life. That's what happens with this level of fellowship. It's not a fellowship that where we only practically talk from a salvific way. It's a fellowship that actually means that we are relying on each other and adopting one another's ideas. Not only are we breaking bread, were they breaking bread with one another and devoted to that, but they were also devoted to prayer. We talked about prayer last week, but I want you to think about this. Um, Remember we talked about prayer in Philippians, right? When we talked about what uh, uh, Philippians 
chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. And we've seen right there with prayer and supplication that we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to be anxious, but bring everything to God uh, with thanksgiving and make our requests be made known. And what happens? The promise of the peace of God will guard our hearts. That still happens in prayer. That still works in prayer. But for them, when you look at chapter three, verse one, he says that now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That actually meant that they continued some of their customs as in the Jewish culture to continue to go to the temple and pray. But they prayed um, in a different way than other individuals because they were praying to the Messiah that they knew. And other uh, other Jews were still trying to wait for a Messiah to come. Now, that's a key difference, because then that made that meant that their prayers were different and more significant. And they were actually allowing themselves to be dependent upon Christ alone and not dependent upon their own rituals. And they also were not dependent upon their own feelings or personal intuition. But what they were trying, what they were doing was communing with Christ, who had already who already revealed himself to them, uh, uh, descended again and ascended again, showing them the expression that he is God. And God alone and that they need to rely on him in prayer. So what is the antithesis of Christian culture? I think the antithesis of Christian culture oftentimes is self-dependency. Our commitment not to God's word and not to his people are not vital to our community to be witnesses. And so in this season, so many different things bring us apart. But what is bringing us together? Together, together. Should we desire to be together? Absolutely. When you look at verses 45 through, I mean, 44 through 45, you have to ask yourself the question of what does it mean for us to be together? What does it mean for us to be an attractive community? You know what was attractive to their community is the way that they cared for one another. You have to look at verse 44 when it says, all, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Right before that, they talked about every soul was actually uh, uh, awed or feared the, the signs and wonder. So it was various different individuals who were watching the apostles' teaching, watching the signs and the wonders, and in their observation, begin to be transformed and then become together in their belief. What did they bring that was in common? I want you to think about this. What they began to bring that was in common was something that actually... Uh, was not necessarily uh, uh, the norm. They began to sell their possessions. So what? The possessions, their property, and they distributed food so nobody around them could eat. Now, I'm going to recommend that you read The King's Economy, Michael Rhodes' book, because it helps you practically think about these things. This togetherness was actually equitable because what it meant was that their economic viability did not come because simply that it was wealthy people making poor people better. It was a collective idea in which individuals interdependent upon one another made the Christian community better. better. So that meant that you, if you had a wealthy lifestyle, you actually may have forsaken the wealthy lifestyle and in order to bring, and, or, and if you had a poor lifestyle, you came into uh, a, a, a common uh, lifestyle amongst one another, poor and rich. Uh, different ethnic groups. Uh, why was that important? What did that mean? That actually meant that physically, socially, economically, spiritually, all of these things were so were more important than reciprocity. It was more important that if, you, if you give you something, you pay me back. It was more important than trying to live in one's own wealth. It was living in the contentment that we together are a body.
together, committed as a witness, together as a witness, and then evangelistic. What is so attractive about a body? The attractiveness here is that people begin to be added to their number. I remember when I was in college, and I always think about organizations adding to their number. You know those organizations? Like fraternities and sororities. You know, you had, you had the, the, the government body, you know, a student body. You had uh, other clubs. But I was attracted to fraternities and sororities. And what attracted me was their unity, their scholarship, and their, uh, their community outreach. When you see brothers and sisters marching together, do, stepping together, when you see them doing, uh, saying the same words um, because they've adopted uh, this knowledge together, it was absolutely attractive. And it was something that I wanted to be a part of. What are those things that you thought were so attractive that you wanted to be a part of? that you joined, some of the things that you sign up for now, that you give your money to, so many memberships. I find that it is interesting that when we think about this particular passage, that we, that we, off, that we don't think about the attractiveness of the passage and how it evangelized and reached people. Oftentimes we think about evangelism merely in the communication pattern with someone else and trying to convince them or persuade them that Jesus is real. But do you think about evangelism in a community that is an expression, a visible expression? That's what John, that's what John 13, 34 through 35 says, that if you love one another, people will know you're my disciples. People know that you love me. Then this is the same notion that when they were selling their possessions, when they were living together, when they were leaving the temple, the Bible says that they attended the temple day to uh, the, attended the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes. So essentially, I like how the message says it. It says that they followed the daily disciplines of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful. And then this is what they did. They praised God together. People in general like what they saw and every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Who added those who were saved? Was it merely them being persuasive or engaging in various different conversations or evangelistic talk? No, it was a community that was so attractive that their unity, their diversity, all of what they were doing was actually drawing people into their lives. And God did the work. Downtown Church, this call of action is for us to be a, ch a church, a community where gladness and generosity, where loving and caring, where togetherness, commitment and evangelism are the very things that are who we are, uh, what we embody. You're saying, what does this have to do with it being exposed? What's ha what is having to do with us being exposed is that right now, because all of us are in our own separate homes. I know some of y'all are trying to do some 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 watch parties together. Be safe. Hope you social distancing and all of that good stuff. OK, amen. In Jesus name. But even though that we're all in our, in our own in all of our own spaces, what happens is we don't think about the needs of our other brothers and sisters. We don't think about who is actually hungry, who does not have food and who don't have meals and who don't have all of their school supplies and who don't have um, who, who, who's missing out because they're out of work and who needs work. And how can we help with offering jobs and cre job creation? See, this is what we can begin to do to, to not only make an economically viable community, a Christian community, but that can be attractive and can evangelize the individuals. 
I'm telling you right now that I've met individuals who are looking for jobs and they don't know Jesus. And just because I've introduced them to someone else, they begin to know Jesus through meeting somebody that owns a Christian business or meeting someone that can actually introduce them to somebody else and pass their resume on. And not only that, but people who don't have food. We do mobile food pantries. We want to do another one. Why? So that we can serve our neighbors and love our neighbors and make sure that they have food on our table. We can't preach a, a word of salvation without meeting the physical needs of people. We have to be a community that's interdependent upon one another and not, not conflicted within our individualities. Your giftedness, your talents, your treasures, all that you are and all that God has made you is to better our community. This call to action is that we're a new community to love one another and to love our neighbor because of who God made you to be. Will you adhere yourself to the commitment as a witness to his word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayer? And will you be together, a togetherness that is so uh, attractive that other people want to be a part of it? And then also, can we be witnesses that evangelize, that not only tell people about a personal salvation, but put food on their table, money in their pockets, jobs, helping children, shoes on their feet, clothes on their backs, diapers, and, uh, uh, diapers for little infants. We need to be a community that's interdependent. And I will say this, downtown church, before we go to God's table, that all you have done a great job at being a community. I want to continue to call you up to think about how although a pandemic's going on, we have a family that's in need. And the table is a deep expression of what it means to come and be in need. Those that are hurting, that are broken, that are hungry, they come to this table. Not those that are all together. God did not come so that you can come to a table with, your, with yourself fixed up. He came so the table can fix you up. And at that table is his body, broken for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful mercy and grace. Be with us now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.